0: Hey, everyone. Rob here. What you're about to hear is the first part of a very lengthy discussion that I and guest Jackson Smith had on The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. In the interest of not subjecting you all to a three-hour-plus podcast, uh, we've gone ahead and broken this up into two parts. This one is a little bit, well, significantly longer than the second half because we covered Uh, We we talked about Wonder Woman 1984 a little bit and that release on HBO Max and and in theaters. We talked about the franchise as a whole and touching on the Enter the Matrix video of the game and the Animatrix a little bit as well. So we're going to go ahead and listen to the first half of the conversation on The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, this one focusing on The Matrix Reloaded. Enjoy. Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast, where we discuss the world of film. From a fresh angle, and now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table podcast. This is Rob. On the show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. And this week, we're going to be talking about The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, the Matrix uh, sequel avalanche of content that came out in 2003, basically. (laughs) And of course, we had to bring back to the show our, who is fast becoming our threequel guy, uh, (laughs) Jackson Smith. Welcome back to the show.
1: (laughs) I'm 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 glad to hold the the honorary title of a threequel guy. I, I love me some threequels. <laughs> well, because we we
0: were on here talking about uh, Revenge of the Sith last year, and then yes. uh, and then mm-hmm. I you know announced the Harry Potter series that that we're just about done with now finally. And really ill timed considering everything with uh, She Who Must Not Be Named in, in this year. Yeah, I'm and so glad we did
1: that right before all that came out. Or we else really did. The conversation did. would have got really yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. Um,
0: so, so you took Prisoner of Azkaban again in the third chapter there. And here we are now talking about Reloaded and the third film, Revolution. So before we get to all of that, uh, tell people listening that haven't. You heard any of your previous episodes on the show a little bit about who you are what you're up to these days
1: Sure. Well, yeah, I am uh, a podcaster, uh, filmmaker, writer. Uh, so I I do all sorts of stuff in the industry. I I direct. Uh, I'm currently writing uh, some web series for uh, the DC Kids uh, channel. Um, so uh, we do shows like Batman 101 and Building with Batman. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing over the last couple of months is um, working on those shows. Um, and yeah, just directing directing personal projects on the side uh my roommates and i we've got we've been getting really antsy in quarantine so a couple of months ago we just started making like a short film just kind of in-house just with you know starring me and my my roommate chris uh adam's actually probably editing it right now as we speak um and that's that's been a lot of fun it's just been really great to get back behind the camera again because it's it's been hard to do that with you know a pandemic going on outside right um, for sure but yeah um uh, Adam and I also have our own youtube channel where we post video essays and podcasts uh not so much recently again we've been super swamped with other stuff but uh we're hoping in the new year to get some more content up there
0: so obviously the matrix is a warner brothers property you're working with dc and we're dropping this episode just a few days before christmas where we just learned yesterday, as of this recording, that Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be released simultaneously in theaters and uh, on HBO Max. So, what is your, you know, as a inside DC person, what is kind of your take on all that?
1: Well, I think uh, I think this is uh, first of all, I I I think this is probably coming from the studio because uh, I I, mm-hmm. I think they are. I think they probably looked at the the box office numbers from Tenet, uh, and they probably looked at, you know, the the COVID numbers that are rising in the US right now. And right. and I, I think they made a, a decision to go forward in continuing to keep theaters alive and open, which I think is, I think it's really important right now. uh, If you can do it safely, like if you have proper safety precautions in place and if the theaters are open in places where cases are not skyrocketing, which is honestly, as of this recording, not a whole lot of places (laughs) uh, have places where cases aren't skyrocketing. But but, but I, 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 so I really appreciate that they're still trying to do that while also saying, hey, Everybody is going to be at home for Christmas, and they're going to want to watch a big movie with their family so let 's give them the option to safely watch it on h b o max I, I I think it's a good best of both best of both worlds uh scenario um, although honestly I, I I really don't even know how it 's going to turn out because we're we're recording this podcast in November, and by the time it comes out for all we know all the theaters could be closed down again and this could all be a moot point so it's 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 a it's a tricky game that i think all of the studios are are playing right now because it's like at the end of the day you want to you want to keep the theaters at least open so that they don't close and the buildings get demolished cuz nobody's going to rebuild them afterwards and you're going to need screens to put movies on uh, but you know at the end of the day, nothing matters more than human life and and keeping people safe and and if if it's if it's just not plausible to safely put people in a in a room for two hours during a pandemic, then you know what's what what needs to be done has to be done and it's 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 really tragic but i'm i've I've been pretty optimistic about just how theaters are just the, the survival of theaters going forward. Like I think, I think the theatrical experience is something that's so precious to people. Uh, And even if it comes back in, in a bit of a limited capacity, I I really don't think it's going away. I think, I think if Wonder Woman 2024 or whatever the next movie is going to be is, is going definitely going to come out in theaters and probably going to make a billion (laughs) dollars, whatever it does. So.
0: Yeah, I feel I feel like I've been looking at Wonder Woman 1984 as sort of the litmus test, because you know, we both agree that it, it would have essentially been the the big hit of the summer. Obviously, it's certainly one of the most anticipated. And I I think that this is, as you said, probably the the best of both worlds, and that at least it still accounts for theaters. It's still they're still at least making mm-hmm. at least making the appearance of trying to take theaters into account. Like you said, whether or not they're actually open to screen Wonder Woman is, is another issue entirely. But I think had they just cut the theaters out and gone straight to HBO Max, I feel like that would have been almost, a, a the, at least to me, would have felt kind of like a death knell for theaters. But the fact that they're including that in, it, yeah, in the plan, yeah. I feel like that's at least given me something to hold on to and, and hope for. Uh, whenever, mm-hmm. you know, the world, if the world ever comes back around again, but, um, but yeah, so hopefully that will happen. But, um, in the meantime, I guess this yeah. is, it makes more sense than kicking it another six months, another six months down, down the line. Cause studios, and yeah. everybody wants their profit share of these, of these you know, $200 million <laughs> movies. So it's like, you can only hold it
1: for so long. Yeah, I just hope theaters are back in full swing by this time next year because mm. I want to see Matrix 4 on the biggest screen possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is like sure. a that is going to be like a that is going to be like an IMAX 3D experience and I am I I we need to at least keep theaters alive so that we can we can have that whatever it's going to be. So yeah, just yeah, just get us there, uh, <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's the and
0: that's the perfect segue. As uh, I, I'm actually dropping this, the I, I the exact day a year before a Matrix Four hits theaters. So uh, when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it the day it drops, one year from now, according to plan. Again, everything's subject to change now uh <laughs> Matrix 4, whatever it will be titled, will be released somewhere. Let's well, hope theaters, but released somewhere, uh, is the is the, is the mm-hmm. plan at the moment. So I think before we get into these movies specifically, obviously uh we talked about the first one before I had my brother Freddie on and we did a, a like I don't know two mm-hmm. and a half hours <laughs> talking about that. I actually split it. that was back when I was splitting long episodes in half and then I was just like ah eh, take the hell with it. Um Uh, So that is, it's essentially my favorite, my favorite movie, the first Matrix. Where do you stand Mm -hmm. on the Wachowskis Mm -hmm. overall? And then specifically this franchise?
1: My dad of course showed me Matrix when I was in high school cuz I got really into like sci-fi and cyberpunk uh when I when I was a freshman and he was like, "Oh, cool. I have all these awesome movies to show you." Like he showed me Minority Report, he showed me Blade Runner, uh and he showed me Matrix and I didn't like it when it came, when when I saw it. I, I mean, I thought the action was cool, And I was like, oh, you know, this is really fun to look at. But I was like, it was just, it was like a little too heady. And there was just like a little too much exposition and stuff going on for me at the time. Uh, But the older, I think it's the, the older and wiser that I've gotten as a human being, the more I have loved these movies to the point where, yeah, I think the first Matrix is probably in my top 10 I think it's probably, Mm. I think it is legitimately like a perfect movie. I don't think there's anything about that movie that should change or could be better. I think it's just like a stone cold classic. And, and I love it. I mean, I love, I love how complex the themes are. I love how well-rounded the world is. I, I love how it just smashes together all of these different styles of filmmaking and all of these different genres and blends it all into something that feels like totally unique i i'm i'm obsessed with it i think i think it's so cool uh and and i think the sequels were were very much the same way like i uh, you know of course when my dad showed me matrix he also showed me the the other two and i i liked them even less i was like i was like ah, these are even more confusing these are even more (laughs) convoluted um but 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 uh, but uh, over the last several years, and specifically on, on this most recent rewatch that I did for this podcast, feel like I can pretty confidently say that I think the Matrix trilogy is on par with the original Star Wars trilogy, if not wow. actually maybe a little bit better. Yeah, no, I mean, I know that's like a bold statement, but that it's like both are instances. Yeah, well, it's like both are instances where you have supremely it's a either one or two in the case of the Wachowskis, but like supremely talented genius filmmakers Mm -hmm. who got basically all the money in the world to do whatever the hell they wanted and pulled it off. And I, you know, that's such, that's such a rarity. You know, I feel like that's probably going to be the case with, James Cameron's next slate of Avatar movies, but it's like it—it it, it only happens. Something like that really only happens once every several decades. So, so you know, and I think the Matrix trilogy—it's a great series of movies. It all—it all strings together so well. It, it feels so cohesive. All of all three of the movies, and we'll talk about this more on the podcast. But all three of them have their own like unique personalities, and they're kind of their own unique styles, and are good for their own. Reasons um, and yeah, no, I I love them. I think they're great, and and I love the Wachowskis too. I, I Cloud Atlas is another one of those movies that I I I think is just a classic. I think that movie is amazing and unbelievable <laughs> that it that it exists. Yeah. Um, yeah. even if they don't always hit the mark, like I wasn't the biggest fan of Jupiter Ascending. Uh, they're always doing something interesting, and they're uh, they're so so smart and such, such incredible filmmakers. And, um, I'm, I'm just so thankful that even, even though their stuff has been not always well received by critics and or audiences that, that, that studios continue to give them money to do what they see in their head because it's, it's, you know, yeah, sometimes you'll end up with Jupiter ascending where it's like, everybody's kind of like oh that was weird <laughs> and then sometimes you end up with something like and then sometimes you end up with something like sense eight where it becomes like a cultural phenomena and and beloved by so many people so it's like i i i love the wachowskis i think they're i think they're a treasure and and i and i do think the the matrix is their magnum opus i think it's a it's a it it, it just as a as a thing it's it's incredible it's oh, i'm so excited to talk about it <laughs>
0: So I agree with a lot of what you said. So, um, I I saw the matrix. I was 16 when it came out. So I saw it in theater, actually almost 16 when it came out. Uh, so I was in high school when it came out and then, you know, I I had that experience where it's basically the movie that made me a cinephile. It's the one where I realized, Oh, this is, this was influenced by this and this is symbolic of this. It's like, it's the one that like cracked the code for me. And that's why I I consider it my favorite movie Mm -hmm. or, or like, you know, one of, and, um, and mm-hmm. so I had that experience that it broke my little 16-year-old brain, the big twist and what the <laughs> Matrix actually is, because I'd never seen anything like that before at all. It was always like Batman movies yeah. or like, you know, Jurassic Park or like things like mm-hmm. that, which are also great movies, but not a, nearly as cerebral as the Matrix is. And then I had four years of, uh, you know, anticipation to the sequels. So... I had I was much more I didn't get to see them for four years obviously so so when they did arrive I feel like the expectations were so high that I still I, I enjoy the sequels I don't enjoy them as nearly as much as you do but I do think they're really interesting films and I feel like they have a similar uh, reputation to like when we talked about Revenge of the Sith where they came out and people were like oh, this is this is lumped in with, you know, this is not worth it. It's just the one, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, um, it's just dismissed basically out of hand. I feel like a lot of people are mm-hmm. put the first Matrix yeah. on a p- pedestal and then you're like, and then they made sequels. and We don't need to talk about this. And I feel like there's so much in here to talk about. And uh, the Wachowskis, oh, like you yeah. said, 100% <laughs> agree, uh, are so ambitious. And like, you know, you hear the term visionary Thrown in a lot in marketing from the visionary mm-hmm. filmmaker of blah blah, it's like. But these these are filmmakers that actually earn that title. Like I are I, visionary. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I love uh, you know despite it's, their its flaws or whatever. But I love Speed Racer. I love Cloud Atlas, uh, Bound, which is the one before the before Matrix, uh, is also I've a never great. The only seen one that, that one. I, I've heard it's really that, good. You should check yeah. it out. Yeah, because it's it's yeah, that small indie movie that they made before. They were given the chance to make Matrix, and then since then, Warner Brothers, I think specifically, has been like, "What, 100 million, 150 million? Here you go, figure it out. You gave us Matrix." Sure, us a yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and we've gotten we've gotten some wild shit because of that, and I and I that's why whenever they come out with something, whether it works or it doesn't work, and you know, I'm in the camp that Jupiter Ascending didn't really work. Uh, I still would prefer yeah, that over <laughs> another. Transformers or another, you know, whatever. It's more, it's got a lot more interesting ideas going on than, and I love the Marvel movies, than most of the MCU. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it's, yeah, they no. are they are unique in that way, and it feels like the kind of filmmaker that Hollywood doesn't normally put money behind as much anymore, so whenever they come up with something, I tend to want to support it.
1: Dude, I, I I was talking about this with my roommate after we watched it, you know, the the... Like, something like the Matrix trilogy would just never happen nowadays. Yeah. Like, it would never, yeah. like, like a studio would never, ever give that much money to, A, a an original idea, mm-hmm. like, something that's not based off of any IP or doesn't have any right. brand recognition, but is also that, like, ambitious and uh, over-the-top and crazy. Like, like, what, you mean, like, all the humans are, like, batteries in this futuristic machine world? <laughs> nah, nobody's going to pay to see that shit. Like, you know, it's like, but, but that they did back then in 1999, they did give them the money to do it. And it resulted in, yeah, I think probably one of, if not the best action movie ever made. And at least in my opinion, one of the best movie trilogies of all time. So, so I, I, I think it's proof. I think it's proof that if you get, if you have really, really smart visionary filmmakers and and trust them then you you end up with with really excellent stuff that people do go see um and and so i i just i just wish that studios did that more cuz i'm i'm tired of like Lion King 2 and The Alice in well, Wonderland 2. And, and, you know, and what pisses another, me off. Another Batman is, movie. like I mean, yeah. I love
0: Batman movies, but it's like, yeah. I mean, it, we just, yeah, yeah. Ben <laughs> like literally, target, like, yeah. it, it just, just hung up the cape, uh, kind of. I mean, we have yeah, the, the Justice exactly. the Snyder cut, so who knows what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like yeah. the only filmmaker nowadays, and again, Warner Brothers backed, that could pull something like that off is Christopher Nolan. Uh, I I think mm-hmm. that things like I still haven't seen Tenet because I'm not going to a theater right now and uh, it's yet available. Same. Yeah, so uh, for home viewing. Um, but something like Inception is maybe the only one of the only big blockbuster expensive movies that feels like it's trying to challenge the audience a little bit with the with the concepts that it's yes. bringing up and like the yes. the, the dreams within dreams and how they jump and like how time fluctuates and some of those like it actually it actually pushes the audience to, uh, to pay attention and not just let it all wash over them mindlessly, uh, like 90, not 95% of movies do these days. But, um, but yeah, I, I think Nolan's yeah. one of the only ones left.
1: And Cameron, I mean, like, I think I Cameron, think I, I, yeah. I have a feeling. Yeah, I have a feeling the Avatar sequels are gonna kind of be like the Matrix sequels in the sense that, like, I think they're gonna be really cool. I have a fair amount of confidence that whatever he's cooking up in his head is gonna be really awesome, but mm-hmm. I have no idea how people are gonna react to it. I, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see, because um, they, they're, they're also like they're. Disney is hoping to make those like the Christmas movies for the rest of the decade, basically. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm pretty much. We'll see, we'll see about that. <laughs> um, but I think they will really good. I think they'll be pretty cool. I, I, I've learned never to bet against James Cameron. So we'll see. For sure. Uh, I think we're just about ready to delve
0: into these two movies. So before we do that, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer, I guess for Matrix Reloaded uh, right now.
1: All of our lives, we have fought this war.
0: Tonight I believe we can end it.
1: That's a nice trick.
0: Huh. Upgrades.
1: Mr. Anderson. Surprised to see me? So now he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them. A lot more.
0: The machines are digging. They're boring from the surface straight down to Zion.
1: There is only one way to save our city. Neo.
0: That was a little bit of the trailer for The Matrix Reloaded from 2003, directed by the Wachowskis. And I I, I also love the fact that this is one of the, I guess the, the Pirates movies did this, but w- it's one of the only instances in the last couple decades that we've seen two movie sequels filmed back to back. You know, we had um, Back to the Future back in the day, Lord of the Rings, these pirates, and then Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. But these are, I think, unique in that they came out the exact same year. So Reloaded came out in May, Re- Revolutions in November, and they just let people stew for those seven months. Uh, so what are your thoughts on... First of all, uh, I, I remember a quote that someone said in piece of the marketing. I think it was Lawrence Fishburne, but I'm not 100%, that said, the first movie is about birth, the second movie is about life, and the third movie is about death. Do you think that the, this movie builds on the conclusion of, uh, of the first one in, an, in a satisfying way? Because there are some changes right off the bat. Neo is obviously way more overpowered than he was at the at the end of the first one, which we saw him take flight. Now he's like Superman, essentially, as Link points out. Uh, but Tank is gone. Marcus Chong was obviously, I guess, difficult to work with. So they're just like, oh, he died off screen. Um, <laughs> are, do you think that the movie yeah. has any any hurdles that it fails to overcome in trying to just get past that for, you know, recreate the world of the first movie, basically?
1: I, I think I... I think Reloaded is a is a really great sequel in the sense that it, it 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 picks up really really well where the first one left off. Like the first one ends and you're like okay, Neo is the one. He is like this the universe's version of Superman. And now the humans have a shot at beating the machines. So it's like, I think the first one sets up the rest of the trilogy really well. and and, And the second one, I think, really hits the ground running in that sense. You really get to see, you really get to see how powerful Neo is, but you also get to see sort of what his limitations are. You get to see like, you know, there there's still stuff about this world that he hasn't figured out yet. You know, there's, there is now like a ticking clock. You know, the machines are coming to Zion and if he can't find a way to stop them in time, then basically humanity is going to be enslaved for the rest of time. So it's like, it's, you know, I think any good... Any good three part story, you know, whether it's Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Matrix, I think the second chapter is all, ab- I think, I think a good second chapter is all about really raising the stakes and really saying, mm-hmm. like, no, things are not as simple. Things are not as simple as you thought they were. This is going to be really hard and there's going to be a lot more to overcome if you're going to win in the end, you know, and it's like, I, you know, in Empire, that is the, you know, the empire striking back, you know, and, you know, Darth Vader being Luke's father. And in this movie, it's, it's, Neo is constantly coming up against uh, this powerlessness that he has uh, to, or, or this powerlessness to change the way things are, you know, the movie starts out when you see Trinity dying and the whole time, he's like, I have to be able to change this, right? Like I have to be able, I have to be, Able to save her, I, I have to have that choice, and 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 I think what's so good about the second one is it really dives into the nature of choice and how and how the the machines have set it up to where it's kind of impossible to <laughs> to choose anymore because they've outsmarted us as humans. But mm-hmm. um, it, it 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 makes the movie so much richer and more satisfying. I think.
0: Yeah, I love that it it opens with a dream. You know the whole. The whole uh, one of the major themes of the first movie is you know you're li- you've been living in a dream world, Neo, and the whole dreams versus reality. So you literally start the movie off thinking you're in the middle of an action sequence, and then oh you're in a dream. So it's already throwing you off balance right right out the gate. And I and I mm-hmm. think it shows that Neo's abilities are already starting to uh, starting to expand. Like now he has visions, uh, and as we learn later on, like his power extends beyond. Uh, beyond the Matrix even. Uh, one of the things that I feel like, well, I already mentioned the thing with Tank that kind of feels a little jarring because it's set a few months after the first movie. Uh, Tank was actually a pretty popular character in the first one. Did you miss, did you, yeah. did that register? Were you like, hey, whatever, screw that guy.
1: I did, it did, yeah. I mean, it it it, obviously it's like, you know, I don't know what happened with the I don't know right. what the situation with the actor was um I but it it was kind of disappointing because it's like you, you you they set up that character to be somebody who is going to come who is going to show up for the rest of the franchise um and then they kind of replace him with um uh Link in the in mm-hmm. the in the in the sequel movies um who's who kind of is he fulfills the same function as a character but it's like it i don't it it's it's one of the few things about these movies that doesn't feel very cohesive um right. but i mean that's it's it's inevitable it's like it's like um it's like too i felt i felt that with um Gloria, um, Gloria Foster, who died, yeah. I think, before they before they were able to shoot her parts for the third one, so they recast right. her in the third one. Um, it's just stuff like that where it's like you know people are people, stuff, tragedy happens, relationships fall apart, and then right. you have to find a way to move on and work with it in a production. Um, and sometimes you can do that really well. And I thought I think these movies actually did a did a pretty good job uh, in sort of filling those empty cast positions and making it and making it work. Um, uh, and then sometimes you end up with something like Rise of Skywalker where it's like it doesn't quite work, <laughs> it feels a little weird. So um, still a little rough, yeah, still just, a little rough. Um, yeah, yeah. Shit happens, you know. So yeah. yeah,
0: I I think the big challenge with this one. Well, first of all, before we get to that, I want to say that uh, I I actually I, I always kind of bothers me that that the sentinel thing happens like literally like they discover the, the, um, the machines digging literally like the, the five minutes into the movie, because to me, it feels like they're already, it feels like the last movie in the, in the franchise in a way, you know what I mean? Like they're setting up for like the ticking Mm. clock is feels so imminent that it feels like the end. And you're like, but, it just, Neo just said it. Like, if you're watching these movies back to back, Neo's like, I'm not here to show you how, tell you how it's going to end. I'm here to tell you how it's going to begin. And then the next thing they're like, uh-oh, it's all over. We're screwed, guys. It feels to me like, mm. like, like almost, I've had this like fa- this fantasy in my head of taking Reloaded and Revolutions and sort of editing a a more streamlined cut together. And like it feels like it would have been together a good third part. And that there's something missing. Like to me, there always felt like there was a step missing in between uh, the original film and Reloaded. But it, you know, do you do you disagree? It seems hmm. like it's, it feels like a pretty smoth, smooth transition.
1: It 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 did for me. I I mean I like like I said, I just watched them all back to back, yeah. and I I you know it, it they I, honestly the most jarring the really the most jarring t- transition between the movies aside from the. Um, tank not being there anymore uh it's just the 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 jump in quality honestly like it was like i i think the the first the first matrix part of what made the first matrix cool was how practical so much of it was Mm -hmm. like it was like that like stuff like that helicopter crash and 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 all of those fight scenes, they just had a, they had a tactile element to them, which made that, which made all the fantastical elements in there, all the more fantastical. Um, Whereas like these, with the sequels, they obviously had like, all the money in the world at their disposal. Mm-hmm, yeah. and, and it's very, <laughs> very, it's very, very obvious. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. I know people like to dunk on the Matrix sequels because it's like, oh, now Neo's just flying around all the time. And it's like, I, I mean, it does maybe look a little weird, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, you see him flying around in the very last shot of the first one. So it's not, right. it's, 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 not that, it's not that. It's not that over the, least, the top. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in, in regards to the whole planning, planting the the threat on Zion. I think they, but my theory is this, and so this is just a, this is just a long shot theory, but I, I think the reason they did, I think the reason they, part of the reason they did these two sequels back to back and kind of treated them as one production and had them, had them flow into each other so well and release them the same year is probably mm-hmm. because like, I, you know, what you don't want to do is you don't want to end up in a situation where, you do a second movie and set up a bunch of shit and then not get to and then not get to make the third movie because that one doesn't do very well they were kind of mm-hmm. like okay well if we're going to make a trilogy let's like let's let's make sure we can make the the last two movies to the best of our ability um right. and so it's like i think that's why that that's why they set that up in this movie that's why they that's why it's your you're told constantly, oh, the machines are coming, they're digging through, they're gonna get to Zion in this this long. So that it's like when this movie ends, you're like, wait a minute, the machines are gonna get to Zion in in this long. Like, oh my gosh. Like I I remember even the first time I saw it, I would like the movie ended, and immediately I was like, Well, wait, I wanna, I wanna see the next one. I want, I wanna know what yeah. happens. Like, what happened to Zion? Like, what happened to everybody? You know, so it's like it, you know, whereas I think if they had been treated a little bit more like individual productions that they probably would have saved something like that for the last movie. But, uh, but like I said, I mean, like as, as someone who just watched them all the way through, I think, I think it, they flow into each other pretty well. There, there were, there were, there was, there was no moment in this trilogy where I was like, oh, that felt too forced or, oh, that, that, mm. that felt a little like, I mean, maybe like individual performances and individual scenes and moments feel right, a little right. forced or not quite well calibrated. But I think as a, I think as a piece of as a piece of long form storytelling actually i think it's like it's it's surprisingly cohesive i think it's a lot more cohesive than something like marvel i mean like those movies are like they they're all great but i you know we did a my roommates and i did a marvel rewatch at the beginning of this mm. uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and you'd be shocked how how not well a lot of those flow into each other. Like, it's like, you can right. kind of tell that it's like every one of those movies is a new filmmaker picking up the baton and doing their own thing with it. Whereas these are like, I think these are pretty, they're pretty uniform, I think. I think the only the only big,
0: maybe, I, I think it's not that it feels forced to me, it's that it feels really abrupt. And I think the part of that is that the Wachowskis had this multimedia plan uh, that included Reloaded and Enter the Matrix, the video game, and the Animatrix. So the Animatrix, I don't, I don't know if you've even seen. There's one segment called "Final Flight of the Osiris" that is actually the ship that discovers that the machines are digging and sends the message to uh, for for you know for everyone else to go and retrieve. That's the message that in yeah. the video game, uh, in the video game, you play as Niobe and Ghost, who is, uh, is sort of her second, her her second in command on on uh, the logos Mm -hmm. and you so you play as those two characters and there's actually a mission where you go to retrieve that that message and then the movie starts with them coming back with the message like there's there's a whole other there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the game uh that hints more at niobe's uh feelings for morpheus uh ghost has sort of an unrequited feel unrequited love for trinity that's in the game um, there's Ooh, all these like character <laughs> beats and and stuff that, that sets up the um the the freeway chase that sets up the oracle and her her, her changed appearance. There's even a detail in there that I never noticed before because I watched all the footage for the video game, uh, where Sati's parents uh, Ramakandra and uh, Kamala, her uh, Kamala, I think mean, yeah, he says yeah. Kamala. I now I've been trained to to say yeah. uh, Kamala. Because of our vice Mala, president, yeah. Elect. So oh, now yeah, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's all confusing. Yeah. Um, so Sati's parents that they, they they sold the termination code um, to the uh, for the Oracle uh, old shell to the Merovingian in order to get Sati's freedom. Like, there's a whole bunch of things oh,
1: <clears throat> that are in there wow.
0: that are not in the movies, and I think it 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 loses a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know. It loses a little bit of that consistency or coherence in, in, in service of, you know,
1: telling the story across various media. Interesting. Well, I mean, I, I just taking those things as examples, like I like the whole thing with ghost having unrequited love for Trinity. Well, that's that's kind of, Oh, wow. I didn't know. They got to give him something to play, but yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of whatever, but even, even do you even know who ghost uh, is without me? Like, (laughs) he's exactly. Well, Well, because the important thing, right, is Niobe's relationship with Morpheus, uh, but that does get touched on in the movie. So, right. so they they tell you kind of from the onset, oh, they had a thing. She doesn't really believe in his stuff, and 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 they, I, I felt like, at least personally, I felt like that tension was properly set up uh, mm-hmm. in the context of the movies, but. I think I think here's the thing: like the purpose of stuff like video games and supplementary materials is to sort of fill out the world. So you but shouldn't have to get you shouldn't have to get information that you need to to get the story from those things. Um, not to bring it back to Rise of Skywalker, but like I shouldn't have to play <laughs> Fortnite to. Hear the thing that they're actually (laughs) talking about in the movie. Um, But like, uh, yeah, exactly. But like, I don't know what like based on what you've told me. I think based on what you've told me, it sounds like they kind of did the right thing where they were like, you could you could do what I did and just watch the movies and and get like a really complete version of the story and a complete Mm -hmm. version of the themes. But if you also played the games and you also watch Animatrix, in that. you would understand more context, you would understand, you know, there are new characters who get who get fleshed out and have their own things. Like that's right. what's cool about having having an expanded universe. And I and I just I, I think it's so cool that they got to do that with yeah this property because that's that's something that you almost always that you saw with like Star Wars and and movies made for children so it was like cool to have a big r-rated action movie that was like oh if you like that there's also a video game there's also an anime anthology movie there's also a this <laughs> there's also a that it's a, i think i think it's cool and i i mean again i haven't seen those things so i can't really speak to this but it seems like they did a pretty good job of balancing that with what you what you get already just watching the movies right.
0: Yeah, I, I promise. I really, I promise. I do like these movies. It sounds like I, do, I don't so far because I'm getting all my grievances out of the way now. <laughs> but it's just also this movie had. It feels very top heavy. You know what I mean? Like it has to set up the the big. It is uh, The big heavy, finale. Yeah. It has to introduce you to. Everyone outside because the first movie is very isolated, it's like a bottle episode of, of this universe. It's mm-hmm. all on that one ship with this yeah. one crew. There's like six characters basically, and that's it. Uh, and mm-hmm. here you're you mm-hmm. have to meet literally yeah. everyone in Zion, you have to understand the uh, the military, the political structure. Like, um, <laughs> they have to bring Smith back, uh, set up what he's up to, explain how everything fits together, and that's before you get to the architect, and he just like. Throws the whole flips the whole table over and and you have to start over
1: again blows the whole premise uh, up basically yeah right.
0: oh and I love I love that scene which we'll get to which initially when the first oh, time you watch oh, you're yeah. like wait what what's happening that's why like they what? they make fun yeah. of it in scary movie three with George Carlin they did a, a whole MTV movie awards oh, thing with do Will they. For- Attack, oh man,
1: I have to watch that. Um, oh, that's
0: it's, funny. It's really funny. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's just it, it feels like here they they have so many boxes they need to check, and it takes like I don't know, maybe forty five minutes for them to be like, all right, everybody, good, cool, we're going now. And then I think it really kicks into gear yeah. when he meets with the Oracle. So, but before we get to that, you have to get yeah. the agents and and all. Um, so so okay, we're going all over the place. So uh, I do really love that so much of the emotional hook of this movie rests on neo and trinity's romance i mean as it sort of did in the first one as well uh i think the fact that, and i mentioned this with freddie when we talked about the first movie the first the, the fact that the that keanu reeves is a man but has sort of feminine features and carrie ann moss is a is a woman but has like a little bit harder edged features i think they they play off uh really well a lot of the themes on identity and gender and and they have sort of this they both have this sort of uh androgynous elements to them that I I know is something that the uh the Wachowski's explore in greater detail in something like sense eight. So I love that 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 aspect mm-hmm. of yeah. their relationship and and Reeves and, and Moss have have such chemistry, which is why I'm so happy somehow they're both coming back for the fourth one. Uh what are your thoughts on yeah. the Neo Trinity romance and, and how it plays into I mean it's kind of the key to everything here, literally.
1: It is. It is kind of the key to everything. And I, 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 you know, I, I think they're both like excellent actors. I mean, I think Carrie Ann Moss is like a genius actress. I think I, like I've I haven't seen her in anything. I think I think she should have gotten an Emmy for for Jessica Jones personally. But like she's yeah, she's, she's incredible. Keanu Reeves is just such a is such a lovable presence. But I, I think you touched on like a really good point. I think what makes I think what makes that romance so different and revolutionary from other hollywood romances is how how non-gendered it feels like mm-hmm. it 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 it's it's like she's ne- she's she is a damsel in distress technically in this movie but it never feels like that. Like it, it it never feels like oh he's he's you know he's coming he's coming to save his woman. It's like it's not like that. They are they're two incredibly incredibly strong, smart, driven people uh who have found each other and love each other very much. One of them just also happens to be a God, computer program as well. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. But it's like it. Uh, yeah, no, I think the, I think they sell it really well. You know, I mean, like I'm, I'm jumping forward. I'm jumping forward a bit, but the, they've got some scenes in uh, in revolutions that I think are just like just beautiful and 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 really well done. I I, I think they did a great job. I'm very interested to see what how they're going to be used in the fourth one. Um, Mm. I mean, I'm very curious about a lot of things with that movie, but it's like, you have two characters who are, you know, spoiler alert, dead, (laughs) you know? But like, uh, like, you know, also like had kind of their relationship, like... Had their relationship, I think, play out in 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 a really in a really solid, satisfying way. So, yeah, very interested to see what they're yeah. I think that's gonna. Be.
0: Keanu dropped a a you know tidbit a few weeks ago or whatever that Matrix Four has a love story, and I'm like, dude, these are all love stories. What are you talking about? Like at their core, these this this movies re- these movies really are about Neo's love for Trinity and that relationship. It it all hinges on it. She brings him back kind of in the first one. He brings her back yeah. here. They sort of both sacrifice themselves mm. at the end of Revolutions. Again, spoilers. Um, it, it's it, the whole <laughs> S- architect scene hinges on his love for Trinity over the rest of humanity. He's like, yeah, okay, we'll figure out the rest of humanity. We'll get there. Exactly. But I have to save Trinity. Yeah. So everybody else is going to have to spend <laughs> for themselves in the meantime. Um, so I love that. that yeah. that is where, you know, th- it seems like they're really focusing on that uh, that part of the story with the fourth one. And also yeah. that rave scene in Zion, the sort of infamous rave scene, which I'm kind of like, eh, with that scene overall. I do love that it is intercut with a legit sex scene with Neo and Trinity, that they're so yeah. passionate. And that, yeah. again, they sort of blend together in a way that when they're holding, you get that beautiful shot of them sort of holding each other. And he gets like a flash of her falling. Oh, I
1: love um, that shot. And they, they're oh, sort of wrapped yeah.
0: around each other. And then you can see all their... This sounds dirtier than it is. They're holes, <laughs> they're matrix jack-in yeah. holes, like from the from being plugged <laughs> into yeah. the pods. Uh, I love that because it's it's so intimate and and sweet and genuine and and I think that one moment sells their relationship so much.
1: Let's talk about the the that scene for a bit, because I because that was I, that was a sweaty when Zion my rave, and I watched it this last. time. Yeah, the sweaty Zion rave slash sweaty sex scene. Uh, like yeah. my when my roommate and I watched it, like he was like, oh, 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 okay, oh, okay, you know. And I and it's it's a weird it's a weird scene, but I also like I I I love it in the way that I I love all of the Zion stuff in these movies because it's like. Yeah, going back to what you said, like in the first Matrix movie, all you're getting of the real world is just what's happening on that ship, you know, right. and it's like, you know, it's like, obviously, they're, it's post-apocalyptic, everybody's wearing like really grungy clothes and this and that, but it's like, you know, it's, you, you get just a small slice of it, Um, and everything in the Matrix has sort of has a... Has a feeling of irreality to it. Everything is a little cold and plastic and caustic, and everything's like green tinted. So it's like I, I think what I like about that scene, at least in theory. I mean, execution is another is another discussion. But what I love about that moment is it's like it's the first time it's the first time in the in the series that you get to see sort of humanity in full force. You right. know, you get to see people dancing and being alive in the way that they're just never in the matrix. Cause they're not really, they're hooked into a, an AI program. So, um, so I think it's like, I think it's cool that they put that in there. Cause it's, it, it, it it sets the stakes and it, it it sets the tone for the real world really well. Uh, Cause that's where the, the majority of the third movie is set, but it also gives you a sense of what is at stake here. You know, it's like, like what is going to be destroyed if the machines reach Zion. It's like the, uh, the, the last sliver of humanity, the last sliver of actual humanity is at stake here. So um, yeah. And I, You know, I mean, the Wachowskis love a good love a good rave, like they love a good (laughs) lot of attractive people half naked and dancing. It's like it's 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 what it is. I don't know. I I agree though. I think that 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 final shot of that sex scene is so so beautiful. Um, just just really really amazing composition and and haunting in the best possible way.
0: Yeah, I think the part of what makes the, the rave scene stand out so much too is it, it immediately follows sort of a, an assembly of all the citizens of Zion and then Counselor Haman, who I actually think is a cool character and has that scene later on um, with Neo about Love the man, you know, the him. machine yeah. and mm-hmm. how they, they mm-hmm. you know, well, these machines keep us alive and other machines are coming to kill us. Uh, yeah. that, that whole scene, which I yeah. actually really <laughs> enjoy, uh, is that it goes from him introducing Morpheus Morpheus giving his like inspirational speech and he's like, tonight, let us have a sweaty rave. And it just cuts immediately to that. I think it's just the, the, it's, it's like, there's like no transition. It just kind of goes for it. And, you know, more power to the Wachowskis if that was their vision. It's just like, wait, what's happening? Um, it just kind of throws you off a little bit. <laughs>
1: It does. I, another thing I love about that whole moment, that whole sequence too, is it's like up till that point in the movie, like Morpheus is kind of painted as like a pariah politically. Like every, like yeah. nobody really wants to listen to him. Everybody's always like, oh, we can't. It's like, shut up, Morpheus, like you and your religious dogma shit, you know? And it's like, it like the, uh, you, you know, the president won't listen to him. The The head general is livid at him for going against his orders and you're like oh they're screwed and then he like goes in front of everyone in Zion and they are and they all just lose their shit. They love him. Like the, <laughs> like the people, Zion, the people yeah. love him. He's a rock star because it's like he gives them hope. He gives them he's he gives them a reason to keep he gives them a reason to keep fighting and a reason to keep believing. And I think I think you see that so concretely um in that in that in that scene and in that monologue, which Lawrence Fishburne just nails <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> nails the hell out of when he just like goes up and 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 gives this big, epic speech. It's it's fantastic. <laughs>
0: it's interesting, too, to see what they end up doing with Morpheus in these two movies, because he, he could have easily been mm-hmm. sort of the Obi-Wan Kenobi fa- uh, figure where he brings Neo into the world, and he's like, all right, I'm out, good luck. And, you know, they mm, keep him exactly. around in the sequels. Meanwhile, Neo is well past kind of needing his mentoring anymore. Uh, to, to back it up a little, we get the, the sort of crew meeting with Niobe, and then we get our first hint of Smith with the, uh, the earpiece. Mm. And then the agents come in, the upgrades, which I, I really like that. You get a little bit of, uh, of a sense of how Neo's skill within the Matrix has changed so much uh, since the last yeah. time we saw him. Uh, you get that mm. Furious Angels track by Rob Dugan, which, by the way, the music in these movies is amazing. Don Davis did a tremendous score for all three of these. And I think it's important that we, we give him his props as well. Yeah.
1: I will say I'm jumping a little ahead here, but since you brought up yeah, music, yeah. I was oh, so I I I was acute I was acutely disappointed when when the third movie didn't end with a rage against the machine song because the other oh, two yeah. do. Like I'm just like it's it it's it's always the perfect send out, just like, yeah, we are raging against the machines. <laughs> right? It's really what all these <laughs> movies are about. And then the third it's movie true. just ends with like or like big orchestral music, and I'm like, oh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: that big orchestral music is pretty her.
1: epic. That's the it's pretty cool. epic. I the score you're yeah. oh man. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. The the scores for these movies are are like like honestly every other element to these movies, truly excellent. So yeah. <laughs> so I also no think no it's
0: interesting there. too. And at the beginning of Reloaded, we have uh, I think Daniel Bernhardt as Agent Johnson, who's also coming back for four, apparently, which should be interesting. Yes, yeah, how, yeah. How that works. I, I guess he's gonna be sort of the the whatever the lead agent is in the next version, the the new version of the Matrix. I, I have no idea what the hell's gonna happen with mm-hmm, that. But mm-hmm. I think he uh he he's good in this movie as sort of the Smith replacement. Uh and he also ha has a fight scene with Keanu in I believe the first John Wick movie too. So they're they're tight
1: in real life. Oh wait, which 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 fight scene was
0: that? Uh, I think it's one of the ones almost at the very end. It's uh it's like the the before he gets to uh, I have to I have to watch that movie. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's one of the last couple fight
1: scenes. Oh, can, I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I just I just Googled um uh, uh Daniel Bernhardt, John Wick. Yeah. Uh, that was another yeah. trilogy that my roommates and I actually watched recently, oh, great. um, which was also pretty cool. But um yeah. Um another Keanu Reeves
0: <laughs> discussion for a different Yeah, I know. Well, well, yeah. Yesterday I was I was finishing up some work watching Bill and Ted face the music on my phone and then watched Revolutions. Oh, and cool. I was like it's too late. Otherwise, I would totally watch Parabellum right now. Um, just making like a Keanu like, third chapter like evening, but I uh, yeah, didn't get to it, unfortunately. Um, a three-a-thon. So, yeah, exactly. Keanu three-a-thon. Uh, so we do see Zion in here. It's, it's at the center of the earth, obviously all of that. What are your thoughts on how well the movie establishes not only the design of Zion, but also... I mean, I feel like within the span of ten minutes, we meet the the kid, we meet Mafuni, obviously Niobe and Locke and Ghost and the multiple captains, uh, Cass and uh, Z, and there's so. This is part of where I feel like the movie's just like, all right, playing catch up. Here's your supporting cast, and let's go.
1: I, I kind of here's the thing I kind of liken it to the middle mm-hmm. section of the first movie I think I think the pro the the and okay. I'm using you can't sure. see but I'm using air quotes thing but the problem with the Matrix movies is that the world is so complex and there is so mm-hmm. much yeah. going on and there's so much that you as the audience need to understand to get a good sense of the action and a good sense of the stakes that inevitably large swaths of all three of these movies are devoted to just setup. You know, I mean like that's I I think the first one is able to do it the most successfully because um because Neo is such a great POV character. Like every like Neo is learning about the world sort of in tandem with us, which is not necessarily the case in the other two movies. Uh, but they're kind of doing the same thing. Like I think I think both the both like the first hour of Um, Reloaded and The First Hour of Revolutions really are just set up. It's, hey, Mm -hmm. here are the players. Here's where everybody is on the map. And then the second half of the movie is... Now we can just move. Now we can just, right. now we could just hit the ground running and just move. And I think it works. I mean, I think it's a, you know, obviously I I think that was probably a lot of the reason these movies were not as well received when they came out. I think a lot of people I think a lot of people came in expecting it just to be straight action, but that that's not really what the movies are, you know. I mean, that's not right. even really what Matrix was, you know, as 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 just phenomenal as all the action is and I want to get to that later but like it's it, it, this is an epic this is an epic fantasy story it's like a it's 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 like a it's like lord of the rings or 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 you know i i i just finished reading dune for the first time and actually I, the, the the matrix reminded me a lot of that just in terms of like the scope of the world and the complexity of the themes and how they're all interacting with each other you know so there's like a lot of time that's spent with the characters and with the world, just establishing things and who they are and setting them up and i think i I think the movies need it because it's like when you then do kick things into high gear it's it, it's all the more it's all the more crazy it's all the more impactful um so but yeah it's a, I can see how it would be trying to some to, to some audience's and, attention
0: and it's not even the exposition like this these movies have so much thematically and so much like philosophically that they're trying to get out there that it it yeah. I feel like the, the sequels sort of struggle with combining them as cohesively as the first one does where in Reloaded you know mm-hmm. I, I enjoy most of the chatty scenes but there's a lot there's like an action scene then the Merovingian talking about causality for five minutes then a fight scene then uh you know I'm trying to think then Counselor Hammond being like Oh what is control then you know then a, yeah. then like a car chase and then the architect being like you know illusions of what you know all that stuff and I, and i what's think most of actually going on here yeah right and and i think that a lot of those conversations are interesting but it almost feels like the movies the movies sometimes come to a standstill so they can have a little mini like philosophy lecture and then be like oh yeah and back to the story and in the best way in the yeah. best in the best instances, it blends se- seamlessly, uh, but but often, and I feel like the Merovingian is the one that feels the most
1: the most uh, outside of itself <laughs> i i I see it this way. i I, I see it this way because I think I think the this movie in particular does take spend a lot of its time not just on exposition but on these sort of like, questions about the nature of 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 reality and choice Mm -hmm. and our relationship with technology but it's like at the end of the day i think the struggle in 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 uh reloaded is a very internal struggle with neo it's like whereas the first one he was like oh am i the one am i gonna be the savior of the universe this and that like in in this movie he's really grappling with the nature of the nature of reality and the nature of choice, and do I actually have the ability to to alter my future? So it's like, yeah, you've got the scenes you, so, so it's like all of these scenes are all of these different little voice I, I see them all as these little different voices in his head saying, like, hmm. you know, like that like like the Merovingian on one hand is like, there's no such thing as choice. everything. Ha- happens because something else happened. It's um, uh, determinism. Um, I learned that from Devs, which is an incredible miniseries that I recommend everybody should watch on Hulu. Because um, it's all about that, too. It's all about free will and choice and and do we actually even have free will? Because, you know, is every decision we make the result of a bunch of other things that are out of our control? Um, but the, at the end of the day, I, I, I love that the movie lands on the other side of that of that of that question by saying no you you d- free will is all you have at the end of the day your choices are all you have and you you always have the ability to make a choice uh but but that's sort of the realization that neo comes to by the end of the movie so it's like the whole movie he's he's hearing all of these different people and all of these like the the entire world is basically like screaming at him like mm-hmm. give up yeah you don't have a choice what will happen will happen that is just the nature of things you know the, the machines are in the machine is in control but but even with all of that he still he still is defiant he still makes his own decisions and chooses it goes with his gut and goes with his heart. Um, and it's i I think this movie, honestly, maybe even a little bit more than the first one, for me personally is 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 just a beautiful embodiment of that theme of free will and that and that theme of like, you know, like Terminator. there's no fate but what you make. like you 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 have you have agency over your choices, and that's what makes us human, you know. Yeah, so I, yeah, I love the I, mean, I love the metaphys- I love the metaphysical discussions. I think I, I think I think I, I, I think they might slow the movie down, but they're so yes. cool and so rich. Yeah, I I
0: agree. I agree. I think they're I I I have come to love them as well. I think at first I was like, wait, what's happening now? Um, especially again, I was off yeah. <laughs> Especially when the restaurant <laughs> scene with the maravagine, where you're like, wait, what is? What, what, why, why is he? Oh, 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 okay. Um, that's what the Merovingian's High are up High school to. me a, checked
1: out. High school me yeah. checked out at that scene. I was like, I was like, what is this? But now, now that I'm an adult, I watch that scene and I'm like, wow, what an interesting character. What an interesting like yeah. discussion about, about free will and what a, what a strange way to, way to talk <laughs> about it yeah exactly exactly oh,
0: um but and so i like that i like all that too i just it, I that i'm just addressing one of the big criticisms for this movie which is probably a big reason why revolutions box office gross was so low i think people saw this and they were like yeah okay i don't know if they know what they're doing with this thing so revolutions actually made less than the first movie did uh it was just kind of petered off at the end which is why it probably took which is probably why it took almost 20 years for them to be like you know what yeah let's let's
1: try and 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 resurrect that um and and bring more. This to is kind of off topic, but I actually, yeah, I have a theory on why that is, and I don't actually think it has anything to do with the quality of the movie. I think releasing okay. two movies in the same franchise in one year was a bad call. I think mm. they should. I think they should. I think they should have released the third movie at whatever the same time they released the second movie the next year. I think. I think that. I think the second movie came out during the summer of that year like of two thousand three, yeah, like and May, and yeah. made. Yeah and it made more money than God it was like it was a, it was a hit but then it was like the second one came out I think awards season or Christmas. And it was like, this is like a lot of the reason I think Solo bombed to at the box office. It's like people are mm. used to seeing specific kind of movies at specific times where they have less competition. And you were releasing a Matrix movie at a point where it was like, it was weird to release it. And you were releasing it in the same year. So it was like people didn't have time to decompress and... And and sit with it. It was like it, there, there was there right. was no time for the hype to build. Like it's like honestly, I think if Endgame would have gotten released like six months after Infinity War, I mean, it still probably would have made like not nearly an insane what it did, amount though, of money because that's yeah. a different. But but probably not what it did. Yeah, it's like I, I I think you know the the you know how much money a movie makes is a is a product of a lot of different things. And yeah, I'm sure fan disappointment probably did factor into it. But I I think more than that was just like. I think that was a poor release plan. I, I, if, if if I, if I were a studio head at Warner brothers at the time, I would have been like, no, we're doing them a year apart. Like just, just deal with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and to your point, I think the reloaded hit like, you know, DVD or whatever, not that long before revolutions came out. So if people missed it in the theater, they probably were like, the new one's coming out. I didn't even see the last one. I forget it. I'll catch them both when, when it's all Mm -hmm. over. I think that, yeah, that's a good point.
1: Exactly. Yeah
0: uh so anyway oh, sorry uh, that was where, a side tangent at. no 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 it's it's all whatever it's all it's relevant um so i, I do b- before we get into sort of more where we are in the middle of the movie i think we're kind of getting around to the the oracle uh scene is uh I, I really wanted to point out that moment of how neo's journey changes uh, you know as you said that's sort of where he ends up is the nature of reality and what, his, what choice does he really have and and all of that. But it starts out with the pressure of being the savior, being like, you know, these movies are not shy about their religious allegories and, and symbolism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he goes through, uh, on the elevator and they get off at their level and all these like people who start coming up to him with gifts and watch over my son on this ship and watch over like all the pressure of everyone feel you know of him being the chosen one and feeling like he needs to protect all of these people uh, and they all need him and so you get that really again another sweet Trinity and uh, Neo moment where she's she's like she walks off she's like I'll see you after we have time she's like they need you and he's like I need you to uh, to Trinity which mm-hmm. I, I just love yeah. I love that moment and I think that that really mm-hmm. underscores the whole theme. Uh, of what the one was supposed to do, the one was supposed to be like, "Oh my God, I have to take care of everyone." And Neo's just like, "Yeah, I know them, but I'm, I, you know, I only have so much time with my lady before we have to get back on the ship," and and yeah. I think that that encapsulates so much of what happens at the end of the film.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's cool because I think like what makes Neo special isn't that he is the one, and I, I the, the like. At at the end of the day, the one, as we find out at the end of the movie, is just another computer program used to control a flaw within the... Yeah, another construct. What makes Neo special isn't the fact that that's him. What makes him special is that he is he's got an amazing heart and he d- doesn't give up and he, you know, he believes in, he believes in choice, you know, it's like, and I, I think that's what's cool about these movies is they incorporate that element of like prophecy and religion and stuff. But at the end of the day, I I, I think wh- why I love Neo as a character is he succeeds not because he's, you know, super, super man, God person, but because he's, but because, because he cares because he cares more than anybody else um and 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 I and I and you and it, the fact that he is constantly choosing his relationship with trinity over like the greater good and your responsibilities mm-hmm. as this person I think is proof of that I think it's like if it weren't for that I don't think he would have succeeded you know so yeah it's it's cool how the movie's constantly planning that and setting that
0: up yeah yeah his superpower is compassion and uh and everything yeah I love mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I think so. Um, uh, so then they go to they're going off to see the Oracle. Meanwhile, uh, Bane is is uh, <laughs> coming. In. Not the not oh not that one. Not the one from the Dark Knight Rises. Different different movie. Oh <laughs> yeah, different Warner Brothers movie. Um, different Warner. Oh, that was the third one. I was gonna. But Bane comes really more in this this third movie as well. Uh, so you get the setup to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, smith sort of possessing bane which again was one of those things i was like wait what the hell because the first movie has such clear delineation between this is the real world this is the matrix and this movie is all about breaking that wall and showing that well yeah the computer program like the brain is is like a computer right so this movie really leans into Mm -hmm. that where bane's circuitry his his brain is, is uh, is taken over, possessed, for lack of a better term, by Smith. So you get that oh God, and mm-hmm. that Smith will suffice, which we'll get into Hugo Weaving in a second, <laughs> and and how great he is in these Ooh, yes. movies. Um. Uh. So oh, what are your what were your what do you what is what is going on with Bane? That do you did you like that sort of element of? Smith not only starting to take over the matrix, the fact that he can replicate now, but also heading into the real world. Or is that sort of you know suspending disbelief uh, a little too much?
1: Oh, I I love it because like I, I in the first movie you're told that it's like there are humans and then there are machines, and the humans and the machines are at war with each other, and it's like an alien invasion. It's like it's like we yeah. have to we have to defeat the machines. And I think what's what's cool about the sequels is that even though that even though that tension is still there it 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 is constantly adding layers of complexity onto it and blurring the lines between what human and machine is and 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 i think smith is such a great example of that you know he because he is he is it's like the oracle says in the third movie he is he is neo basically he's just the mm-hmm. opposite of neo so it's like he's got the same power to sort of break the barrier between these two worlds except instead right. of breaking that barrier and using it to save the world he's breaking that barrier and just using it to consume everything and just make everything himself um, and I think yeah I mean I, I think him possessing I, I think him possessing someone is a is 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 a fun idea doesn't really get explored in the second movie but it 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 results in some real crazy shit in the third movie, which I really liked. So (laughs) yeah. um, yeah. Like, I don't know who the actor was who played, who played Bane, but he's, his Hugo Weaving impression was so spot (laughs) on to the point where he, uh, that, that, that scene um, in, I'm jumping ahead to uh, revolutions, but that scene where he's like holding Trinity at knife point and talking to, talking to Neo. I'm like, that's, that's Hugo Weaving, right? Like that, that's him. That's <laughs> he's there. That's like, no, it's a different actor giving a, giving a Hugo Weaving performance, but it's uh it's yeah. fantastic.
0: Yeah. Ian Bliss is the, is the actor's name. And he is so, yeah, he's so great. Uh, in, in, in that it makes, as you were saying, and when you, we get to revolutions, it makes it feel like Hugo Weaving is in that movie a lot more than he is. He has like a couple scenes mm-hmm. in the matrix early on, you know, with the Oracle and all that. And then the battle at the end, Yugo Weaving doesn't have that much screen time in Revolutions, uh, but it feels like he's throughout the whole, like a constant, pre- like uh, Bane even yes, says, there's nowhere exactly. you can go, there's no, I won't find you, that whole thing, which is great and makes mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. Uh, one of mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite movie villains uh, of all time just because he's so much fun in these yeah. sequels. Uh, so we're about to get to, to the, the Air quotes Burly Brawl. Uh, so we meet Seraph, which is like an angelic reference, obviously. So, so he's uh, the Oracle's protector. So again, they're expanding the universe in in different ways. He's even referred to as wingless in revolutions. I don't know if you ever caught that. Uh, the like bouncers Ooh, I at Club Hell. It That's fascinating. They're like, oh, Joe, what the hell? What the hell? It's wingless. They say. Um, uh, <laughs> so this movie really introduces the idea of. Angels, and this is the scene with the oracle. Angels and aliens and ghosts and werewolves, vampires. vampires. An explanation, yes. <laughs> an explanation for all the supernatural stuff. How it could actually ex- exist in the matrix, and how freaking cool is it that the, the, the Wachowskis were like, you know what? Let's just bring ghosts into it. BUCKET. <laughs>
1: I love it. I, 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 again, it's like what makes the movies, what makes these movies so awesome, is that you know, it's not just a future, it's not just a dystopian sci-fi action movie, it's also a kung fu movie, but it's also like a cyberpunk movie, and it's also all these things. And oh, hey, yeah, there's vampires. <laughs> like, uh, but they find it, they find a way to make it work in this movie so well. And those, those two characters, the, um, oh my god, what are their names? The, 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 the ones who can like disappear through. The Twins, um, the That's twins. All they're called in the uh, movie, yeah. So just like some of the most ingenious action in a in a sci-fi movie ever. You know, like the the, the amount of mileage that the Wachowskis are able to get out of that. Concept of them just being able to move through walls like ghosts and shit is just it's so awesome. I think one of my favorite, one of my favorite little beats from uh from Reloaded is when uh is when there one of them tries to like cut Trinity's head off through the car, but she like speeds up just enough to where like he misses her when he like phases mm-hmm. through. It's like it's just this like oh my god, it's, it's oh, it's so cool. Uh, <laughs> and it works because it's like, yeah, you know, this is a the matrix is is a playground for the machines to 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 do whatever they need to do to keep humanity sedated basically so it's like I, i i love in the sequels how it like it 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 really blows the doors open on what what a computer program in that world is capable of and what they can do and what that all looks like um it's just so inventive and cool it gives them an excuse to do some just some of honestly in my opinion like the best action in a movie ever i think i think i think uh reloaded has like more great action scenes than any other movie i mean it's just like 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 every almost every single action scene in that movie is is like a class like a like a Ten out of ten classic, and it's like it usually, usually a movie will have one of those action scenes or none of them. And this movie's got like him battling all the Agent Smiths, the car chase scene, like all, like all of this. Just oh, oh my gosh, it's I love it.
0: Yeah, it's it's it,
1: I, and it's an idea as far
0: as the supernatural stuff that I can't imagine them not going back to and expanding and building upon with the next one. Like if that if that's oh, where yeah. the second movie okay. goes, it's like. All all bets are off. The Matrix is going to be like a freaking hellscape in the fourth one. I have no idea what's going to happen, and I kind of love that we haven't learned anything about it so far. And I think they're either done shooting or almost done shooting. And I feel like there's been very like basically nothing revealed except for like it's going to be cool, stuff's going to happen. I'm like, okay, cool. Who's a lot of new cast members? You know, so I have I have no idea where they're going to take it, but. Or well, where I guess where Lana's gonna take it because Lily is not coming back to do the the fourth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I want to not, I, 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 I don't need to see a trailer. I don't need to read a synopsis. I'm going to be there opening night. Like I don't like, I I get to see another movie set in this universe. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm going to, I don't know if I'll do like a blackout, but like I, I definitely, I don't want to know. I want to be, I want to sit in the theater and be as surprised as possible. And I bet they're going to try and do that as much as possible. So yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, I do also love, now we're finally getting to the Oracle stuff, I do love that the real challenge, I feel like, of a sequel is taking what was left unsaid or or what we assumed for the first one and and taking it in another direction. The example I always like to go to for this is like um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, where we all assumed Mm -hmm. what Jack Sparrow's compass was going to do that it just pointed to Tortuga. But then we the whole plot point for the second movie is, no, it points to what you want the most. And that's why everybody wants it for different reasons yeah. and all this stuff. And I love that. Yeah. And in this movie, we have a, 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 a similar sort of sub- subversion where... You know we first yeah you know the Oracle is introduced to us as a psychic and like she's a fortune teller they all refer you know the mayor of engineering refers to her as a fortune teller and but really she's just a program from the machine world world who's very intuitive who's like studies the human race and and is able to sort of uh anticipate what their their choices are going back to the theme of choice uh, you know i I love that that's her her law, sort of long game in trying to achieve you know to try and achieve peace she says in here the only way we're going to get there is together is to get to that peace the humans and the machines and try and and uh bring everything to a standstill and sort of uh, improve the situation in in some way uh, and kind of break the cycle uh so what are your thoughts on gloria foster's you know unfortunately brief role in the sequels here and mm-hmm. how she's basically shows up here to give neo his his quest and uh sort of kick the, this is where after finally we're we introduced everybody this is where the movie really kind of starts um, what are your your thoughts on the yeah. um, oracles role here
1: i i both i just have to say like both movies uh, acutely this one i think because yeah you you know she does kind of show up and say like well this is this is not going to be easy this is you know this is a lot more complicated and um complex and and you know, you, you, you get a much better sense of her as a character now that you understand that she is a program. I was like, I, she should have gotten nominated for an Oscar for like one of them. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a beautifully understated performance. And, um, and, and it's, it's cool because it's like, I I love the idea that you take a computer program and you basically give it all knowledge about humanity, like you give it you, you basically say like this is this is everything that has happened in human history, this is who humans are, this is how they work you 've gotten to observe them and see sort of how they act and and then, as a result you know see how they 're going to behave in the future, and that it once you 've given a computer program that power, it just becomes this pure good, this like pure good, this like just absolute light, this wonderful, wonderful person who is just there, who just like persists in being there for no other reason than to just like make sure the human race survives. Um, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's one of the, it's, I think one of the most casually optimistic, uh, elements of these movies is that, is that character because it's like, you know, yeah, they could have just had her be like, they could have kept her as like a a human who's just like really smart and has fortune telling abilities. But it's like, I think the fact that she's part of the machine world mm-hmm. and a program makes the fact that she is so that is, she is fighting so hard for humanity's survival, like all the more meaningful. I think, I, I think it goes to show that it is like, you know, there is hope for humanity and that, and that at the end of the day, people can be good deep down and that they are worth fighting for, even in the eyes of a machine, you know?
0: Yeah, and I also feel like the fact that this movie at the end reveals that the architect is, is you know, com- likens himself to being the father of the Matrix and he's the father, then the Oracle's the mother. So you sort of get between that mm-hmm. reveal and also the scene on the bench at the very, very end of Revolutions uh, with the two of them, you sort of get the the deal, the the sense that, he is like the satanic figure she 's like the you know uh the, god-like the god like figure, famous, and it's yeah. like them mm-hmm. playing you know toying with humanity and trying to sway one the, sway the tip the balance one way like she says he is trying he's trying to balance the equation, and her job is to unbalance it and so I love that there's like this cosmic exactly, yeah this cosmic scale where these two machines are being like, "Yeah, we should tear <laughs> it all down." and she 's like, "No, no, no, there's something there to save let's let's keep them around yeah um and I, I, yeah. I, I love that element of it. There's something about two characters being interconnected in such a, an oppositional way that I find so satisfying, both with the architect and the Oracle, but then also, of course, with Neo and Smith. It's, it's like a, uh, a Harry mm. and Voldemort situation or uh, at yeah. the very end of revolutions, I was getting um, Superman and Zod sort of vibes as well.
1: yeah. It's it's the idea of duality and that and that yeah, it's that. you can't have just evil and you can't have just good. It's like they are they are two they are two parts of the same whole. They have to coexist with each other, but there is a there is a balance. There is a tipping point, and and when you enter the story of the Matrix, I think it's very obvious that that tipping point has fallen very much in the side of evil and that it's Neo, it's people like Neo and Morpheus and the Oracle's job to sort of tip that back over into good. But it's like, at the end of the day, you're still going to have that darkness. Like, I think I like, you know, again, I'm jumping a little ahead, but I think what I like about where the series ends up is that it's like Neo doesn't destroy the matrix. He doesn't defeat the machines. He doesn't like burn the whole system down but he tips the balance. He tips. He mm-hmm. he tips the balance back in favor of good, and I think that's, I think it's a much more realistic and also a much more beautiful way of looking at that constant struggle between light and darkness that just exists in everything. You know.
0: Yeah. No. The fight goes on. That's kind of the the nature of it. And mm-hmm. and and I love that the fact that uh, that Neo and Smith sort of embody those two sides. So the Oracle. <laughs> again being so intuitive she's like good luck Neo." You know, as soon as the door closes my, my boy shows up with the uh with the birds flying and all of that like oh, okay Hugo Weaving in this movie in, in all Ooh. three of these movies really but in this movie the whole you know he has that whole spiel about I killed you Mr. Anderson I watched you die that whole thing about like, I'm no longer an agent of this system. I love that so much. Every time he monologues, I know I said earlier about like, oh, there's such chatty parts of this movie. Whenever Hugo Weaving does it, I'm like, shh, everybody quiet. He's talking about purpose or, or I don't... you know, uh, uh,
1: <laughs> it's so great. I don't, know, I don't know what direction the Wachowskis gave him as an actor. Like, I don't know what... I, I would be very curious to know, as a director, what that was. Like, what they right. said to him. You know, because, like, you know, how do I play this character? How do I play the, you know, a megalomaniacal rogue computer program that's become a virus? You know, how do I play that? And it's like, I... <laughs> He just like it. It's 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 amazing because the 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 phrase that kept going up in my head as I was rewatching these movies was chewing the scenery. Like oh, it, sure. like like he he like he chews every single word and every single scene. He just has to like he consumes it. You in, in a way like it, it in a way that I think fits that character because the whole point of that character mm-hmm. is that like now that he has agency and choice. He just needs to make the entire world in his image. He just needs to he just needs to make everything and everyone him um, because he thinks he's God, he thinks he's perfect. so it's like it's so fitting then that you've got this performance where it's just like every word that comes out of his mouth is just so full and pointed. <laughs> And like, like he's giving some epic sermon, but he's like, he does it. He does it in such a way where it always comes off as hysterical. Like it's, <laughs> and I think that's what makes him a great bad guy. He's like that perfect amount. He's like that perfect amount of just like, oh, this guy's deranged. This guy's ridiculous. Yeah. But like, also like, oh shit, he's scary. He's like, he's <laughs> me, he's, me, me. He's creepy, me you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's playing the same character, but he's really not playing the same character because in the first one, Smith was so mm-hmm. like uh, conflicted, so burdened. He's like, I have to get out of here. I have to get free. I have to find Zion. He's like desperate to I- get out of the matrix, but then we get a sense of what the program's version of an afterlife is, and you could either be deleted, a i.e., you know, cross over or stay behind and kind of wander in the matrix in limbo. And he has evolved into a virus. So he's the one character that is not only allowed to be one dimensional, it is actually an asset because what do viruses do? They can, he says it, he himself says it in the first movie. Viruses spreads to another area, that's all he does. He just, (laughs) you know, consumes, consumes, consumes. So of course he's going to be single-minded in that. That's his purpose. And so I love that. His his he's the one character in these in these movies that has clarity in the sequels. Uh, he's just like no, this is what I do. I just take over as much as possible until there's nothing left.
1: Yeah, that that scene where he he them fight Neo in the in the courtyard is just one of the craziest things I've seen in a movie ever. It's just it, it, like it's because it, it, it's so great too. Because it's like every time. You know, every time you think like, "Oh, this couldn't possibly get there," that that's it, right? There's no more of him. There's no more Agent Smiths. It's like more of them come in to the point where it's just like a literal flood of bodies, and it's just the same person over and over again. But like the fact, and just getting to see how Neo fights them off, like when he when he like rips the fucking bowl out of the ground, <laughs> and everything. It's just like it's such a. It, it, was, it was such a. It, a, it's like such a brilliant, inventive piece of filmmaking, and just some of the craziest action ever. Um, and it just it gives you such a great it 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 gives you such a great sense of who that character is going to be going forward. It's like he is just he just ha- yeah. It's like he he is he is exactly you're right. He is exactly what he described humanity as in the first movie he's like Mm -hmm. you guys are like a virus you just go to a place and you consume it and it's like it's it's projection it's like he was literally like that's what i want and that's what i want to do but he's projecting that onto humanity and you get to see him you get to see just what that actually looks like in this movie and it's just it's bananas it's absolutely (laughs) bananas I, uh, I do love the music as well. Again, here
0: for the, the this, the, I guess they call <laughs> yeah. it the burly brawl scene with all the, the Smiths mm-hmm. and, uh, and Neo. And, you know, that, it was the kind of thing that like when uh, when my brother and I, you know, when he was, you know, back in the day, we'd get like all our, our like toy lightsabers or whatever and we'd like play fight like to this song, that kind of thing. It was like kind of like a roughhousing jam for us back in the day. Um mm-hmm. I do think the visuals haven't aged as well as I would like. I feel like the some of the CG doubles look pretty dated, but at the time looked super mm-hmm. uh you know looked much more impressive. What are your thoughts on how the visuals, like the you know, the CG doubles, the head replacement, uh, and how that all works in this scene. Because that aside, I do think it's it's a lot of fun. The sound work, there's like uh the sound of bowling pins falling over at one point when he throws them into yes, each other. And, yes. <laughs> uh, one goes flying at the wall, it's like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> um but but about the visuals, thoughts?
1: Uh yeah i mean I, I think what's cool about The Matrix movies and what's helped right. them age i think better than other movies from that time is that it's like every time you've got a visual effect that doesn't really work, you're in a computer program like That's you're true. in a, you're in a you're in a giant computer program, so it's like i um yeah, is some of it is some of the motion capture in that sequence a little rudimentary? yeah, it is is it, does it still work? I think, absolutely. I think, I think it, I think if anything, it adds to the, it adds to the ridiculousness of that whole moment, you know, it adds to sort of how over the top and goofy Smith is as a concept, um, while also giving you a sense of just how threatening he can be when there are just like so many of them. (laughs) So it's, um, uh, I think it works largely, uh, but you know, do, would that scene have looked a little bit better in the year of our Lord 2020? Probably. Yeah. They probably yeah. Would have man- managed to make it look a little bit more realistic and probably would have gone for that over, over the cartoonishness.
0: That's a good point too, about them being actually in the matrix. And I wonder if that emboldened the Wachowskis to push things a little further uh, because it was a scene set in the matrix and things are allowed to look slightly less realistic because i can't really even think of in the real world i feel most of the visual effects have aged pretty well and i feel like there's a much more of a reliance mm-hmm. on practical effects and all the, the real world set action sequences you know the closest yeah. you know the biggest cg thing they have is obviously the sentinels but even that i feel like that works pretty well in all three movies yeah no, i agree uh, okay, then they head off to see the Merovingian. there's a there 's a lot of uh Loch Niobe you know drama where she volunteers to go and get the Nebuchadnezzar and all that good stuff so the mm-hmm. we sort of already covered the scene in the restaurant with the Merovingian uh, and the the very special cake that he sends to the lady uh, at the other table um, thoughts on i mean what is there anything about the scene that that we haven't
1: touched on before we move to the, the scene. Chateau battle. The scene, sp- speaks, <laughs> the scene speaks for itself. It's definitely some yeah. of the most interesting use of the Matrix effects, you know, when they like go into like the Matrix and you can see the code. Everything is coded everything. I think the scene definitely gets the mo- gets the award for the most interesting use of that effect so far this is the I, I definitely will say it reloaded is the horniest matrix movie like it's for sure <laughs> i think more so than the other two is the most where they were like yeah we're rated r we we can, we can do whatever the hell we want uh but i i, I love the verovigion as a character i don't know because it's like again it, it's it's that whole idea of like you know if you have a computer program that has developed supreme intelligence and then you just basically let it off the hook and say you can do whatever you want, sort of who does that computer program end up being? And I, and I loved the, I love the idea of the Merovingian as a character because it's like, of course you're going to have a computer program. Who's like, oh sweet. I have access to everything. Great. I'm going to be like, the worst possible rich dude on the planet who can just like do whatever the hell he wants and has like a smoking hot wife who I cheat on with everybody and just like a just gorgeous mansion in the middle of the Himalayas or something. Like it's just, it's, he's, he's so over the top, but it like it, it's yet again, it's like, it's another, it's, this is a world in which AI exists. And I think this is another, this is like the Oracle or like Agent Smith. I think this is another really excellent use of like, okay, well, if you had AI in sort of like a big real world simulation, how would they behave? You know, of course you would have ones that are just like, oh, I could do whatever I want. Cool. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to indulge in one, in, in all of humanity's Biggest impulses. Like he speaks French because he's just like I don't know. I like the way it sounds in my mouth. Like I just love the way. It <laughs> it's wiping your eyes, like, silk. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Zach. It's like, I'm trying to remember what he said. Yeah, or what he's like, he's like, he just like lists off all of the French curse words in order. He's like, it's beautiful.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. No. I, it I, also I, sets I He's coming the, back for the
1: fourth one too. Yes, he
0: is. Hell yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> know it, it also sets Sorry, up. The thing with the architect he sets up because he's talking about, you know, you know why, you think you know why you're here, but do you, you know, do you really, sort of, because he knows the journey Mm -hmm, of the one. There's a charade. He he says in the next, uh, right before the Chateau battle, he's like, you know, your predecessors had much more respect and all of that. So he's been around. He's one of the oldest programs, they say, in the movie. So he's he's kind of, Tipping the hat a little bit to them, being like, Huh, you don't even know what game we're really even playing. So there's no way you're gonna win. And and I love that dynamic of having that sort of he's, he's the closest thing these movies have to kind of a mob boss. And I and I think he brings such yeah. a different energy to it.
1: I, I I he's kind of the job of the hut in these movies, yes. in the sense that I think like the first the first act of um revel um revelations is he is he's like he is very much about him in the way that the first act of Return of the Jedi is very much about Jabba of the Hutt. Like you you I feel like in all of these big epic stories, you need sort of like an underground world. You need sort of like a seedy, seedy underbelly of whatever the society is. And 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 I and I love this series version of that seedy underbelly of society. I think it's really cool.
0: And then after they leave the restaurant, we get the well, we meet the keymaker. Uh, Randall Duck Kim, who is also in John Wick Chapter 3. There's a lot of Keanu crossover in these movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. We get the Chateau Battle and then the Freeway, you know, mm, chase. Yes. Two of the best action sequences uh, in these movies for sure. And, and you know, yes. in contention for the best ever possibly. Uh, especially, the I feel like the, yeah, the Freeway I mean, Chase is the magnum opus of this of this, possibly this trilogy as far as like big action, ambitious action set pieces go.
1: I, I like the freeway chase is like a masterclass in action filmmaking. I mean, just like it just, just in terms of like the complexity of it too, like the amount of different threads that you have to follow as a viewer over the course of that sequence to understand the geography and the stakes and you know, like what the action is, is immense. And it's, the the filmmaking is just invisible like you don't even really have a sense of how big and sprawling and complex it is because you're just the, the wachowski's do such an excellent job of just like laser focusing in on everything that you need to know in whatever moment while also giving you what you need to know going into whatever the next scene is um it's uh like it reminded honestly like i i the the, the only other car chase action scenes I can even... Begin to draw comparisons to are the ones in Mad Max: Fury Road. Honestly, like I think I think that's the only one. That's the only other movie I've seen where anybody attempted to pull off something this ambitious and succeeded. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think the freeway chase is. I think it's the crown jewel of this franchise. And and even if even if the rest of Reloaded was shit, which it isn't in my opinion, I think it's a great movie. But even if it was shit, it would still get like an eight out of ten from me because that's that sequence is just. Oh wow! When Morpheus is like, st- he's like doing the handstand on the edge of the truck. It's mm-hmm. oh, oh my god! I'm gonna <laughs> cry. It's so <laughs>
0: no, and it and it's you know it speaks to the fact that, and I think a lot of it is because of that that scene. The again, the music I listen, you can tell I listen to the soundtracks to these movies a lot. Uh, that Mona Lisa Overdrive <laughs> yeah. is the name of that track. Uh, it it, <laughs> it is. It's weird how this movie for me really act two is when Reloaded is like kind of at its best. And I think so much of it is because of the Chateau mm-hmm. battle, uh, with, yeah. you know, a, a per, that it directly precedes this and then the freeway thing, because it, it is, there's just so much going on. There's cars, there's motorcycles, there's ghosts. Uh, there's, there's uh, you know, police officers who are then taken over by agents. There's there's so many different elements at play. And, it, and the movie takes mm-hmm. its time to, let that all play out. I feel like that's like a 12 minute sequence or something like that. It goes on for a while. It, they yeah. they, it, they took them weeks just to shoot that sequence, and I think you can tell months that they I put think. that yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. They I think they believe they built part of a freeway to shoot that whole thing, and it, it's mm-hmm. it, it is. You can feel every little bit of that that care in in that that uh, that sequence, and just how. Yeah. I don't know. It's so great. There's so much going on. Swords, guns, all kinds of shit. It's such an achievement for them. Uh, And visually, it still holds up pretty well, I'd say. Uh, I think because a lot of uh, the practical effects, I think that's a big part of it as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think practical effects are a lot of it, but I think a lot of it is filmmaking. I mean, great filmmaking is Mm -hmm, great. Filmmaking is great filmmaking, no matter when in history it came out. And there's a, there's a universality to the Wachowskis filmmaking, which makes it so broadly accessible. Um, Like, like you, like, I think what, what, the miracle of that sequence is just the the amount of clarity that you get from it like it's it, you know it, different individual parts like may have aged better than others i think overall though the 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 abundance of practical effects in that sequence make it age perhaps a little bit better than other sequences but it's like it's great because every time they cut to something it's the right thing to cut to and it's the sequence itself is so well constructed and so well put together that it's like it yeah watching watching it play out is like like honestly like when when i watched it with my roommate i think we paused it after the sequence just to like just to like settle down because we were just like so on the edge of our seats. We were just so enraptured by it. Um, And it's, it's great filmmaking. It's, it's, it is just honest to God, great filmmaking. And it's, and it's frustrating because it's like, it's frustrating whenever I see action movies nowadays that either just, just rely on making everything look practical or just doing the best CG possible when I'm like, no, 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 no. Good action is about, Shot composition. It's about editing choices. It's about geography. It's about all of these, all of these different things that the Wachowskis took into take into account with any of their with all of their action scenes. Um, except maybe a few Jupiter ascending, but that's another discussion. Um, <laughs> uh, they, they, and that's what makes it so timeless. Like people are going to be able to watch Matrix Reloaded like twenty five years from now, and they're going to be just as blown away by it as the people who watched it back in two thousand three. And that's great filmmaking. I feel
0: like the Also, not only that, like the call. There's callbacks in the uh, in these these two sort of back to back action sequences. There's uh, there's a line that uh, Morpheus tells Neo in the first one where he's like, everyone who's gone up against an agent has died. So when we see Morpheus go yeah. up against an agent in this movie, we're like, oh shit, there goes Morpheus. Mm. Uh, you know, he exactly. does the same kind of leap on the, I think, on top of the truck as he does in that dojo scene with Neo. Yes, uh, yes, in the, yes. In yes. the first one. Uh, there's there's little little things like that that build upon each other plus the fight choreography. We got to mention Yen Wuping, Ping who did the choreography for Mm -hmm. all three of these movies and how just, again, like you were saying, it's, it's, there's no, there's never a moment in any of their action scenes where you don't, where you don't understand what's going on or who's doing what or where you know mm-hmm. Neo uh, uh, Neo's over here in the chateau fighting this other guy who's on the other side getting this axe off the wall and meanwhile Neo's got the size and and meanwhile and then onto the freeway mm-hmm. Trinity and the Keymaker on the motorcycle over here and Morpheus is on the tr- like you you never feel like it's just you know what is the the that Taken Three with that action scene it's like forty five cuts for Liam Neeson to jump over a fence it's like none of that crap it's like yeah they, they completely know how yeah. to orient the audience uh, so that we're in there and with it, with the characters the whole time and uh, and not kind of left behind in the dust. Then you have the last minute save by Neo and, and that sort of very visceral reaction that Link has. Ah! Uh, the audience surrogate, which oh, is basically my what my audience did when
1: I saw it in theaters. Dude, that that I I I I I know the, the, the visual effects of this movie are spotty, but that when the trucks collide with each other and you see like the metal rippling through for it's just like oh wow. It's just oh, oh man, I love these movies so much. Thank you for letting <laughs> me come on and talk about them. Oh, of course. <laughs> so good. Of course. Um, no, it's, there's a lot, there's a
0: lot to get into, which is why it's taking us so long to get through Reloaded. Um, <laughs> but yes, there's, there's a lot to cover. So I'm glad that we're actually getting to this. It, it's, it took a while to finally get to this, this episode, but, um, so yeah, the freeway, amazing. Like it's the kind of thing that now that I've rewatched it for the first time in a while, I might just go back and just rewatch that sequence just to be like, ah, oh, that's the good yeah. shit right there. Um, <laughs> uh, so then we get the, the plan the plan, three ships, three objectives, sounds like Providence, that whole thing, with the power, uh, the power mm-hmm, station mm-hmm. or whatever, which again, is more of that is that it's an enter the matrix that's part of your missions in that is as Niobe and Ghost to go and kind of oh. do their side of things. Um, Fascinating. So, let's see.
1: I have to play uh, this video game.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you need to find it, check, track it down. If, uh, I, it, if I still can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I like that the keymaker just knows things because he must know, and I'm like, yeah, because it's happened five times mm. before. Nobody questions that, that these how these yeah. people know things. It's just like I know. Just trust me, I know. And like, sure, okay, cool. You um, <laughs> know, us watching it, we're like, oh, so that's that's like I have a role to play. It's um, yeah, it's just like they're all all the programs are just sort of going through the motions. Like this is what I do. This is my you know my thing. I, I'm ready to to I'm trying to think of a good comparison to this of like just this is the the it's just a performance they do just every every hundred years or so it's just the programs all run yeah. through and this is the key maker this is your role you make sure you get the one to the store and we'll take it from there uh
1: and i i love that we I, Nor- I like those so that. Yeah. yeah go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, like, I like that, I like that you don't quite know that yet. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. like, he's like, like the keymaker is like, this is my, you know, this is my purpose. It's my job to know everything. And it's like, again, like at that point in the movie, you're thinking like, oh yeah, because like fate and destiny, this and that. Right. And then it's like, right. you get to the room with the architect and you're like, oh, that's no such thing. <laughs>
0: right. Morphe, we get Morpheus doing the, the voiceover again, which I just want him to just tell me what to do all the time. Uh, we get a, like, another reference back to mm-hmm. the first movie with the, that armchair with the, and the sunglasses. Uh, did, you, yes. did you notice yes. Lee Wannell is in this movie in a like, super small role for, like I think, 10 seconds of screen time? What? Lee, look no, I Lee didn't. Is, Wait, who does he play? He's one of the guys oh on gosh. the ship that gets killed uh, on Soren's ship the the one dude like falls
1: and then the other oh yeah where the 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 thing the 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 yeah thing collapses yeah yeah i think he's the guy that's on the thing that collapses well they shot i mean they shot oh yeah oh i right oh man wow i can't believe i didn't recognize him i know Uh, because they shot well he's aussie and they shot all these movies in australia so it -hmm. it, it makes sense but um i love him he's so great um yeah i guess oh wow that's so fun
0: um uh, so but then we may, we get some more Smith again he wants everything he's the virus we know this uh, so he kills the keymaker and then neo goes into the the room the door made of light and we get to the architect now what was your reaction the first time you saw this scene where you know all this crazy shit is happening and the keymaker gets killed neo's going to fulfill his destiny he's going to end the war he's going to save everyone and it's like a colonel sanders looking guy in a big white room with a bunch of screens
1: I think I think I, I think what again when I saw this movie for the first time I was in high school. Um, I was I was not as I I didn't pay attention to movies and, and wasn't as smart as I am right now. And uh, I, I, I it's like when Morpheus walks the audience through something, you know, he walks the audience through something, and you you yeah. you, you, no, you no matter you know if you're ten or a hundred you you'll understand what he's talking about but the dialogue that's written for the architect is so well written honestly it's so it's just so like like his his use of language is so educated and complex that it's like i think when i saw it the first time i just was like i have no idea what he's talking about (laughs) I, i have absolutely no idea what's going on here um uh, now that I do, I, 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 I love that scene. I, I, that scene is to me like the Luke, I am your father scene. It's the, it's mm-hmm. the scene where it's like everything you thought, you know, you knew about this world is wrong. Like, and not only that, but like everything sucks, you know, like, it, except in the, in the, in this case, it's not, you know, you know, oh shit, my dad is the bad guy. It's, oh shit fate doesn't exist. Like it's, I am just, I am just, I am literally just another cog in the machine. I was like, literally my, I got here just so that I could pick a couple people to revive scion with, and we could do this all again in like a hundred years. You know, it's like, that's my purpose. Um, And, and it's, it's crushing, honestly. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a crushing seed. Cause you're like, well, oh, oh shit. Like what? what now like how do you how do you beat that how do you how do you beat that that level of inevitability especially now that you're actually not that special that you're not actually you know jesus or you know computer jesus like it's 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 a it's a crazy scene and it honestly it makes it all the more satisfying when neo decides to not go with it you know it makes it all the more satisfying when he says like no fuck you i'm going to save trinity i'm doing this my way because it's like even though you're like oh shit now zion's fucked it's like it's like no neo is neo is unhinged like he is he is he is no longer playing a part in this big game that the machines have constructed to keep humanity sort of at bay um, for their own personal gain. Like he's, he's, he's broken with that and now really can kind of do whatever he wants. So it's a, it's, 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 I think that scene which really makes Reloaded a great sequel. Like it, it, it does such a good job of, of redefining, redefining what the world is and really pulling the rug out from everybody while also just like staying really true to the, to the, to the first movie's core themes of like free will and, and personal agency. So yeah, I love that scene. Also beautiful production design, all the TV screens. Around
0: yeah, yeah. There's so a, cool, there is you know? a moment in the first one where we see TV screens and everyone just sort of assumed it was, you know, the FBI or the CIA or whatever, some government agency. But if you go back and look at the first movie, there's a scene where you see it looks like those exact same screens. So after seeing Reloaded, you can almost go back and just... Be like, oh, there's the architect. He's watching Neo as he's being interrogated by the agents inside the <laughs> Matrix, kind of keeping tabs on things.
1: Yes. But to your point, of oh, how yeah, this, that's a good point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. To your to your point of how this scene upends thing, it's things, it sort of feels like, and to go back to the Star Wars sequel trilogy, it sort of feels like The Last Jedi, where you're like, okay, we have our Emperor figure here, Snoke, yes. and it'll be the big thing with him and writing the next one and they'll defeat him and that'll be the end of it. And then, nope, they bisect him halfway through the movie and then you're like, whoa, wait, what the hell? What are we doing now? What is even this next yeah, movie going to be? Exactly. Like, this is yeah. brand new territory. We're breaking the cycle of, yeah. you know, of, mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, the galaxy or the matrix or whatever. And to all the critics who, who said that this movie, you know, this, the writing in this scene is, you know, pretentious or indecipherable or whatever. And it's like, well, He's talking like a machine. He's a machine. He's a program. Yes, exactly. Yes. It's you know if you yeah. listen and pay attention, it, it does all fit together not only with what we learn in in a few moments where it says the process has altered your consciousness. How you know the kind of almost to me hinting that the one has abilities that extend beyond the matrix. There's something different about the. Yeah. the the person they've selected as the one that happens in the incubation process or something. Uh, But also Mm -hmm. he talks about the first Matrix, how it was sublime, kind of fitting in with what Smith said in the first movie about it being a paradise and the body trying to reject it, like it was something we were trying to wake up from. Uh, The fact that all the previous ones apparently looked exactly like Neo or at least all possible versions of it looked like, like Keanu Reeves, which makes everybody wonder whether he's playing a new version of Neo in Matrix 4, because Keanu has been seen with like a really short haircut now, so everybody's now Ooh, wondering, yeah, that if, might be the case.: yeah. we are going to get the seventh Neo or whatever the case may be uh, in the next film. Mm-hmm, so I, mm-hmm. I, it, it really is it's a, sh- it's a real show-stopping scene, and I think it, it takes a few watches to really kind of digest it. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it completely holds together, and it is a real, you know rug puller. Yeah. Uh, for for the for this film, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. Then he goes and he saves Trinity, and you know his love for her is so strong that he, I don't even think he knew he could do this, but he reaches inside her body, pulls the bullet out, restarts her heart,
1: because um, <laughs> uh, he loves her so damn much. I think it's a great parallel to the end of the first movie because that because that kind of happens. Because Trinity kind of does the same thing with Neo at the end of the first movie. She basically he dies and she basically with her love brings him back to life. Um so I so I, I loved that this movie ended with a sort of like a call like a, a reversal or a callback back to that. It's like it it just goes to show how strong those those characters' relationships are, uh, the, those characters have with each other is that they're just like, they absolutely refuse to give up on each other. Like, they're just like, yeah. no, I, you know, you will, you won't die because this is not how it's supposed to happen. And it's, um, yeah, it's just beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's it, i i'm reminded a lot of that that uh i don't know if you saw mission impossible fallout but the the mm-hmm. that whole oh, yeah. idea of like the i forgot what the what the what the line was specifically but like saving the one life is is the equivalent to saving all of the lives like it's all about saving that one life and it's like i really felt that i really felt that in this moment and then the scene it's like it's like neo has been told explicitly that if he saves trinity trinity he it'll cost the entire human race, but he's like, no, that the one life matters, you know, like her life matters. And, and it does because it's like without her, he wouldn't be able to save the world like he does at the end of the third movie. So it's like, it's, it's, this whole series is a really great examination into how, how decisions, how, how certain decisions spiral into other decisions and how, you know, how, you know how time works, and you know it, while it might seem like things don't make sense at the, at the time that they happen, or that they go against sort of what our what our programming or our consciousness is, that at the end of the day, everything has a reason. Everything has sort of something that it is building towards. Um, and yeah, that's that's part of what the one of the many things that makes it such a cool series of movies.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the only person who. Well, not the only person but the, what really the other emotional big impact that the the finale of this movie hits with is morpheus's reaction because his whole life has been about this yes, prophecy yes. That sort of drove him his his whole being was uh you know oracle said and again it's sort of that you speak it and so it becomes true that's the whole oracle's whole thing she's like i'm she's like I, they put faith in her she says you're going to be the one to find the one and he's like all right, well, I'm going to go look for the one, I guess, because that's what I what my destiny is, this lady said. Uh, and mm-hmm, she seems to mm-hmm, know what's what. Yeah. And then now for him to realize he was just, a, he was used just like everyone else was used to get them to that point. And he says that very, very kind of tragic Les Mis-esque, I have dreamed a dream, but now that dream is gone from me, which is really delivered yeah. with such poignancy by Lawrence Fishburne and you really feel the fact that like Ugh. he he everything his entire purpose has been to bring the one to save zion and it's all bullshit and I, I think that it really gives that character something interesting to reckon with
1: yeah i i love to i i i love that it's like You know, Morpheus starts out the series believing in the one and he ends the series not believing in the one, but believing in Neo. It's like, it's not, it's not about believing in the prophecy or what you've been told. It's about believing in him as a person and as, and it's like, that's what I love about the end of that movie is it's like, like Morpheus has ostensibly lost all hope, but he keeps going because Neo's like, no, no we have to keep going. Like we have to, like we have to keep doing this. And um, yeah, no, I, I, I loved the that Les Mis reference too. I think, I think he says it specifically when the Nebuchadnezzar gets blown up, um, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, it's emotional because it's like, you know, that was the shit. That, that was the ship that the whole first movie was set on.
0: Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. It's like you're reading my notes right now, Jackson. That's exactly what I, yeah, it, it, is, it was like the Millennium Falcon of this trilogy was the Nebuchadnezzar. And then no, nope, nope, poof, we're done. We're moving on from that.
1: I will say um, I I have a I, I will say though, I do have a complaint about these movies. Uh, in sort of sort of in relation to that, that is one of the few like legit complaints that I have about them. You can't tell any of the ships apart. Like if like if you show me a picture of one of the of one of the ships and another one of the ships, I'd say like that's the same thing. I think that's what Star <laughs> Wars Did really no? That's what Star Wars did really well because it's like the Millennium Falcon is like its It's own shape. There's not another ship in that universe that looks like that. So it's like every time it comes on screen, instantly we see, oh, that's that ship. That means family, home, Han Solo, Leia, all these things. You know, I think, I think, I think this series could have done really because because the ships do kind of become characters, especially in in. Um, in the third movie, you know, they it it very much matters which, which ship each characters are on, and I I I I it's the one design element that I got really frustrated with. I'm like, why couldn't you just make them look different? So every time we cut to it, I'm like, oh, that's that person's ship. That's an Ioby's ship. That's Morpheus's ship. This is this person's ship. But um, uh, anyway, one of the few complaints that I have with these movies. So no, it's valid, completely valid. Uh, I think, yeah, that
0: that the, the, there's certain homogeniza- homogenization to a, a lot of the elements of Zion that I'm sort of just like, oh, okay, I guess that's just kind of what they do. I mean, even the the APU units that the, it feels just like completely from aliens, and I know that was a kind of a complaint a lot of people had yeah. at the time. It just there's the design elements in the third one I feel like are lacking in a lot of ways, uh, even though there is a lot of narrative stuff that still works. Uh, that being said, mm-hmm. Neo starts stops the Sentinels, uh, passes out, and then we he's in a coma next to Bane, who's of course survived because uh, he's got Smith on the brain. So uh, there was a big I don't know if you this even ever occurred to you, but there was a a big sort of fan theory in the in those seven months, I guess uh, that percolated huh. around between those movies that the real world was going to be revealed to be, like, another version of, a ma- of the Matrix. So, like, a Matrix within oh, a Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I oh, didn't say it was a God. good idea. Yeah. I was just like, oh, man, I hope that's not where they're going. Because, like I said, I experienced yeah, that sounds like all the time.
1: That kind of, that sounds like the kind of shit the internet would come up with. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but...
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll cut off right there. That is more or less where we stopped talking about Reloaded. I know there was some crossover there as well with the the Matrix Revolution seeping into that conversation. But just like these two movies are inextricably linked, so are these two episodes. But if you want to find Jackson on social media, you can find him over on Twitter at jacksoncsmith ninety five. And the Screen Fever's Twitter account at, at Real Screen Fever. And of course, just search YouTube for Screen Fever for uh, the content that he and and Adam have been putting on over there. And that'll be the end of this episode of the Cricket Table Podcast. Stay tuned for a bonus episode on with stay tuned for an episode of bonus content from my conversation with Freddie Yanis uh, on the original matrix from last year. That'll be coming in a few days followed by the matrix revolutions uh, a week from this episode's posting. So enjoy all that. And we'll catch you next time.
1: This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. table.com. All rights reserved.
0: <laughs> <G-R-O-O-K-E-D>. <laughs> <laughs>